the information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are doing the penultimate chapter in the Chamber of Secrets. We've only got two more to do, and we're done with this one. This is chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. In this chapter, Harry was separated from Ron and Lockhart and made his way to a solid wall with two serpents on it. He says open in parcel tongue and the door opens to a large dark chamber. We know that Harry is brave and that he is trying to save Ginny, but his bravery seems to know no bounds. I know we've discussed this before, but why does Harry seem to care so little about the consequences and the danger involved in these things? Two things. First of all, I think Hogwarts family, especially the Weasleys and Hermione Granger, have become his chosen family. The Dursleys have abused him his entire life, and now that Harry has found his new family, he's not about to give them up. Second of all, the school was about to be closed if the heir of Slytherin wasn't stopped, and what that would mean for Harry was going to live with the Dursleys forever. I imagine he was extra motivated by that. But underneath it all, even if it wasn't Jenny, even if Hogwarts wasn't being threatened to close, I imagine that Harry would have done what he did anyway, because underneath it all, he has a really good heart. I think he takes after his mother in that way. He's a compassionate boy, and he wants to stand up for others. He knows what it means to be bullied and to be in danger, and he is willing to do everything he can to protect other people from facing the kind of abuse or danger that he himself had been through. Yeah, he's just awesome anyway. Just a superhero. So through the door, Harry finds Ginny Weasley lying on the ground. She isn't moving. She is not petrified, but her body is cold and lifeless. Harry thinks that she might be dead. Please don't be dead. Wake up. How hard do you think it was for Harry to see Ginny in this state? I imagine it was absolutely devastating. Again, I think that 
At this point, Harry sees the Weasleys as his second family or maybe as his main family. He spent a portion of the summer with them and Ron is one of his best friends. And so I imagine that Harry in that moment probably feels a significant amount of loss believing that she's dead or at the very least knowing that she's dying. He himself knows what it's like to lose loved ones having lost both of his parents and I imagine that even though it was just a few minutes that he spent with her before seeing Tom Riddle, it was probably some of the most painful minutes of his life where I imagine he was devastated and terrified. Yeah, that would be just scary anyway, just to see someone you know in that state. As Harry holds Ginny trying to shake her awake, Tom Riddle says from the shadows that she will not wake. He's strangely blurred and glowing as though he was standing behind like this misted window. And he's actually outside of the diary now. Tom explains that he is a memory that was preserved in the diary. Can you talk about the strength of memories? It's interesting because memories can put us right back in that moment. In, in some ways, it's almost like we can time travel. For trauma survivors, for example, they can feel as if the trauma is happening right now in this moment, even if the original trauma occurred decades ago. For example, you might have Vietnam War survivors who might be waking up in the middle of the night now and believing that they're still out there, that they're still in the war. You might have survivors of sexual assault who decades later still might be triggered by a memory of what occurred and might feel not only as paralyzed and terrified, but also as little and as helpless as they might have back then. So for example, survivors of childhood abuse, even as adults, when they're stuck in a trigger and when they're stuck in a memory, might feel as if they are still the same defenseless child that they were when the abuse was happening, especially when speaking to their perpetrator, when reminded of their perpetrator, even though they might now be an adult who is bigger and stronger, in some cases, even bigger and stronger than their perpetrator. It's mm, very interesting. So Harry begs Tom to help him save Ginny and doesn't realize that Tom is not what he presented himself to be. You've got to help me, Tom. There's a basilisk. It won't come until it's called. Listen, we've got to go. We've got to save her. I'm afraid I can't do that, Harry. You see, as poor Ginny grows weaker, I grow stronger. Tom brags to Harry about taking advantage of Ginny she essentially found Tom's journal and wrote her deepest, darkest secrets and fears into it. Tom's memory could read these thoughts and use them to take advantage of her vulnerabilities and become stronger, essentially. Yes, Harry. It was Ginny Weasley who opened the Chamber of Secrets. No, she couldn't. She wouldn't. It was Ginny who set the basilisk on the mudbloods and Filch's cat. Ginny who wrote the threatening messages on the walls. But why? Because I told her to. You'll find I can be very persuasive. Her trust and fears gave Tom's memory strength, and he began to materialize into reality. Yes, Potter. The process is nearly complete. In a few minutes, Ginny Weasley will be dead, and I will cease to be a memory. Can you discuss the idea 
of deceit and people who manipulate perceptions like Tom did and the power perpetrators get from the control and influence they have over their victims. I think it's kind of like being a hunter and prey and it's terrifying because sometimes perpetrators create this kind of a game where they befriend the person, they might act with kindness toward them, they might pretend to be interested in this person's life or secrets, all the while earning that individual's trust and attacking them when the individual at least suspects it and oftentimes causing the individual to do certain things or participate in certain behaviors that the individual might not have ever wanted to do. But by the time this occurs, the individual, the survivor of this abuse might not believe that they can do anything to stop it. They might be so far gone under the influence of the perpetrator that they might not even realize the options that they have not to partake in some of these activities. And it's really scary how people can gain power over this control. It's a scary situation. It really is. Tom reveals that he is actually the memory of a younger version of Lord Voldemort. He is Lord Voldemort, essentially. How is it that a baby with no extraordinary magical talent was able to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed? Why do you care how I escaped? Voldemort was after your time. Voldemort is my past, present, and future. You, you're the heir of Slytherin. You're Voldemort. Surely. You didn't think I was going to keep my filthy muggle father's name. No. I fashioned myself a new name. A name I knew wizards everywhere would one day fear to speak when I became the greatest sorcerer in the world. Albus Dumbledore is the greatest sorcerer in the world. Dumbledore's been driven out of this castle by the mere memory of me. He'll never be gone. Not as long as those who remain are loyal to him. Harry is confronted by someone who grows up to murder his own parents. How is it like for Harry to deal with something like this? Take a moment and imagine this, right? If someone murdered two members of your family, and then if you were to meet them, maybe at a different point of their life, just how horrific it would be. I mean, I imagine if it was me, I would be so fueled with rage, and probably at the same time terror that I don't know I would probably either really want to hurt this person or be frozen with probably fear and also maybe so much anger that I might not be able to move so I can't even imagine how hard it must have been for Harry but what's really interesting is that through all that he still kept his focus on his mission trying to get Ginny out of there alive you know, his focus wasn't on facing a younger version of Voldemort. It was on helping his friend. I mean, it's really amazing that whole situation, sitting there looking at this person that perpetrated these horrors into your world. And part of you might have the belief that you can actually change this person's you know, trajectory and their future or something, but it's just a memory anyway. But man, that must have been a very difficult situation to deal with. Eventually Tom commands the huge basilisk to attack and kill Harry. Sir I have this. 
Parcel Tongue won't save you now, Potter. It only obeys me. In the nick of time, Fox comes to Harry's rescue and claws out the basilisk's eyes and blinds it. No! Your bird may have blinded the basilisk, but it can still hear you. In the confusion, Harry sees a glint coming from the sorting hat and sees that there is a sword hidden inside it. The sword of Godric Gryffindor, to be precise. That's a lot of help for someone who has the odds stacked against them. What does this suggest about hope in the most dire of situations? I think that a lot of times we might not know our own strength or our own abilities. I usually say that the only way out is through. And so that means that when we're facing our traumas, our depression, our most heart-wrenching experiences, we can't run away from them. We have to get through them. And initially, it's almost like you're walking through a dark forest. It's going to be dark and you might be kind of feeling around in the dark until there's this glimmer of hope. So in Harry's case, it was the Sword of Gryffindor. In the metaphorical case that we're talking about, there might be a friend who might unexpectedly appear to help you. There might be an opportunity or a sense of purpose that might show up all of a sudden. But what I've learned overall is that when we're able to face our obstacles instead of running away from them when we're able to stand for what we believe in no matter how dire those situations might be hope is always there and remember that the night is always darkest before dawn so in those times that you feel like there's no hope that you might feel like giving up remember that hope is just around the corner you just have to hold on and wait it out Mm, i love that thank you for that that actually gave me a little bit of a chill (laughs) It just was wonderful. Harry fights the basilisk and ends up stabbing it in the roof of its mouth. With the fatal thrust of his sword, one of the basilisk's poisonous fangs pierces Harry's arm and it breaks off and splinters. Harry is poisoned and is dying. Remarkable, isn't it? How quickly the venom of the basilisk penetrates the body. I guess you have little more than a minute to live. You'll be with your dear mudblood mother soon, Harry. Fox approaches Harry and the bird's tears fall into Harry's wound. This eventually heals him completely. You were brilliant, Fox. I just wasn't quick enough. literally heal somebody i think a lot of people don't understand the function of tears i think people think that tears are something shameful or something not to be shown but if you think about it tears are probably the only bodily fluid that are i think socially acceptable to (laughs) to see in public tears are essentially a release of any extreme emotion 
And that includes sadness, happiness, anger, frustration, fear, right? Surprise sometimes. So in any extreme situations, we might cry. What's interesting is that when we cry, our body releases endorphins when we're crying because we're happy or oxytocin when we're crying because we're angry, sad, or frustrated. And this hormone is something that can provide a soothing, caring effect for us when we're going through these difficult emotions. And so sometimes the most healing thing that we can do for ourselves is to cry. And the most healing thing we can do for somebody else is to allow them to cry, to hold them as they're crying without telling them to stop crying, but actually by allowing their tears to flow by maybe just sometimes staying silent and allowing that person the space and the opportunity to cry. Do you think that J.K. Rowling was suggesting the power of letting loose crying in situations or like tears? The power of tears? I honestly don't know. I, you know, I I don't ever presume what the author was thinking. That's brilliant. Um, It is. (laughs) And so, again, I, you know, I can only tell you what it means to me as a psychologist, but I don't know the author's intention behind this scene. Of course. So after Harry defeats the basilisk, Tom still tries to kill Harry, but Harry brilliantly stabs the diary and kills the memory of Tom Riddle right then and there. He stabs it with the basilisk fang. Stop. No! This might have destroyed Tom Riddle's memory, But Voldemort is still out there somewhere. How can this parallel the difficulty in trying to suppress bad memories? Well, it's kind of like what happens when people who went through trauma are being told, well, just forget about it and don't think about it. Or when people are having an anxiety attack or a panic attack and they're being told, well, just calm down. We know that it doesn't really go away. Even as we maybe take a moment to cry, for example, with our healing tears, right? With our phoenix Mm -hmm. tears. Even as we maybe learn to take a moment to self-soothe, it doesn't mean that our problems magically go away much like Voldemort, they might still be there kind of lurking around the corner. What we learn over time is the strength to face some of these monsters, the tools to face some of these monsters as Harry will start learning in subsequent books, and also the idea that we're able to face them when they arrive. It's all right, Ginny. It's over. It's just a memory. That is awesome. And I really enjoyed this chapter. It was fun and exciting. It was fun rereading it again after all these years. And essentially we have one more chapter for you all. So, you know, this is a perfect time for us to end this chapter of Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day.